You know, we folk who gather in this way on Sundays, it seems if you listen to the uh, public media that we're the lunatic fringe. You get that impression? And so we sometimes get discouraged because we half believe it. But the reality is that we happen to be the living core of the people who make this country work. And it isn't just a case of us patting ourselves on the back. Friends, we have a lot of growing to do. But uh, just recently, a friend of mine, he's the executive director of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities, did a presentation to the Senate committee on reviewing whether or not the advancement of religion should continue to be a charitable end. Okay? In other words, looking once again under pressure from a humanist group in BC that have sent a petition through saying, hey, get this religion thing out of the fabric of what we do as Canadians. And so my friend John Pello put together a report of the things that we know. He used excellent, excellent uh, resources, and they're out there. And it's mostly about Canadian Christians. Now, they use the word religion or religious because that happens to be the politically correct. But it doesn't take much digging to discover that he's really talking about believers. Okay? And the reality is that for every tax dollar that the government uh, yields, it's not theirs anyway, is it? They like to think it is. But for every tax dollar that they supposedly yield because uh, of a charitable donation, guess what? They get 12 times the value. Now that's a pretty good return, right? Twelve times the value. If you get seven percent, that's pretty good. But what, what are we talking about here in percentages? I'm not really good at this. Is this twelve hundred percent? It's twelve hundred percent return. That's excellent return. Now, on our website, you will find a link to this particular paper. It doesn't have all the academic or footnotes and references because the Senate committee gives you a brief window in which to present, but it is coming out with all the footnotes and so on. And John is also uh, uh, adapting it a little bit because, as I say, most of the, the research is about believers, all right? We are not the lunatic fringe. Who volunteers the most? We do. Who gives the most to charities of any kind? We do. Who are the most likely to be receptive of new Canadians? We are. Now, am I patting ourselves on the back? Friends, we've got a long way to go. You know how hard it is for us to even greet each other and to learn a new name. We got a piece to go. And Jesus wants us to be welcoming. Now, Calvin, did you get me up on screen there? It's coming. It's coming. All right, great. Thank you for your help. You see how, how helpful we are? 
We can get by with a little help from our friends. Now, apparently we had a prime minister who could play the piano and sing that as well. All right. Let's pray, let's pray that we will have a prime minister who actually understands the right side of things, right? You're praying for your election, for the election. Now, another link that you will want to look at on our website is the link for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Who's heard of the EFC before? Okay, less than half. There's a link on our website. This happens to be a, an umbrella organization made up of Bible-believing Christians right across the spectrum. And they are the ones who fight many legal cases in favor of continuing to have religious freedom. Do you value your religious freedom? I hope you do. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And I happened to sit on the board of EFC, and we had two days of meetings this past week. And that's where I saw John. And by the way, this particular Senate uh, submission has already gone out to some 55,000 churches in North America. It's an important report. And so if you want to be encouraged, if you want to help others, whoever they are, to understand the value of church people, here's a really good resource. And it's Mother's Day! And guess what? Mothers are a significant part of making a difference in our country. Amen? Amen. Thank God for mothers. Where would we be without mothers? <laughs> Here's a picture of my mother. All right? She was just a month short of 97 years when the Lord took her last year, March 25th. And uh, my mother is not your mother. There are differences, but there is some commonality. She loved her children deeply. She prayed continually for us. She's a woman of faith, not a perfect woman. She would time, sometimes get very worried about things when she didn't need to. She didn't like to confront people. Maybe you're like that too. Okay? But sometimes she would get down because instead of simply addressing something which was relatively easy, she'd get down. And so I was her pastor. Try to be a pastor of your mom. What's that like? <laughs> Do you know Rob? <laughs> and it's, uh, it, but you know, right to the end, uh, I would speak to her sometimes quite directly about attitudes that she has that were not like Jesus. And the things I would say to her are the things I will say to you, that I say to you in private conversation, that I say to you from the pulpit. The only way forward, friends, is for us to be like Jesus. The only way forward. That's where strength is, that's where transformation is, that's where impact on our nation. And what do you think it is that uh, is caught in this report. It's not people who go to church once a week. It's people who have a living faith in Jesus, a living relationship in Jesus, who turn around and, yes, they get together. This is where we get encouraged. This is where we have a good time together. Amen, Julie? Yeah. You should have heard Julie praying. 
today in the little meeting before we got started. Just so excited about being part of what we're doing together. Now, we, we know we deal with a lot of confusion, and there are words that get thrown around. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've all heard about patriarchy and the problem with patriarchy. <sighs> Unfeminism and how good that is. And there are some truths in all of it. The problem is that sometimes we, we swallow the bad parts and we spit out the good parts. There are limitations in our traditions. So the biblical ideal is not the 1950s. The biblical ideals are what we find in Scripture. We read about the intent of God in creation. We read about the richness of God's design. And of course, we read about the restoration that we have in Jesus. So I'm going to go right back to the beginning. Genesis 1, and you'll see in verse 26 that God says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Uh, and, uh, oh, there's something's wrong with my, my version here. Okay? But anyway, let's skip down to verse 27. <laughs> I don't know who edited this. I, I hope he wasn't taking advantage of the new freedom we have. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. And then look at the next part. Male and female. So woman is created in the image of God. And in fact, many of the qualities that we value and see in our God, we see particularly in our mothers. Thank God for that. We read as well in verse uh, 28, So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. So you can see, being male and female has something to do with multiplying. Did you see all the children that came up here? Where did they come from? <laughs> Praise God for this wonderful thing that God has done in making us part of this great family. We see in Exodus chapter 20 that authority is given to both man and woman. This is the first commandment that is directed to how we deal with other people. The others all relate to how we relate to our God. And then comes the commandment, honor your father and your mother so that the, your days in the land may be long. And you'll see, both man and woman are being honored in this, not just men. That's a distortion. And then we have the uh, account, which is a little bit fuller description of how God went about creation. And so we read, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I guess the chickens wouldn't do, the horses wouldn't do, even the dogs wouldn't do. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
In these days of what we understand about stem cells and DNA, we understand that it is really not as far-fetched as some in previous generations might have thought. But look at what Matthew Henry, a commentator from the 1600s said, that the woman was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Isn't that a beautiful way of expressing it? So we're not any wiser here in the 21st century. Go back a few centuries and you see that folk actually had a pretty good grasp on what it's about. Now we see, of course, the connection between wife and mother in Genesis 2, verse 23 as well. The man said, when God presented him with Eve, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will be one flesh. And we who honor a biblical understanding continue to practice marriage in which we read this very scripture. And we understand how powerful it is and how real it is. And we understand in how much trouble our society is when it has drifted away from this understanding. Look at the mess that we have all around us for all the social workers. And God bless social workers. I have two children who are social workers. But God bless our social workers as they try and deal with the devastation that comes from having lost sight of this standard. Let's understand how important the creation ordinance is. In Matthew 19, we read that uh, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And you see, the Lord Jesus does not give a very easy answer, does he? Does not give a very a comfortable answer. Because the Jews, of course, following Moses, understood or, or practiced divorce. We practice divorce in our nation. But I, I know that we understand that when we come before the Lord, this is not God's will. And we know the devastation that comes from broken marriages, right? And we don't want to ever go there. But when we do, of course, let's deal with it redemptively. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of brokenness. But let's understand that the Lord Jesus says, He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? We just read that text. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be unified, united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together let not men separate. Okay? Now, some people ask this, this question. Does Jesus say anything about gay marriage? Well, look at the text, friends. Can you read? Can you read? Okay? Jesus is not dealing with divorce. He's not dealing 
with marriage. He's dealing with the most fundamental issue of our sexuality, you see? Can you see it? Ha haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them what? Male and female. You know that there's a lot of confusion these days over gender. Let's not be confused. Okay? That's a confusion that's made by those who've lost their way. And that's where, again, we submit to Jesus. We listen to his word. There's no point saying that we are red-letter Christians. We follow the word of Jesus. We're not actually going to follow him. Because, you know, there is a group of believers who call themselves red-letter Christians who say, well, we follow only what Jesus taught. Well, friend, the Lord Jesus put his imprimatur, his seal on all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And he's very clear here. Go back to the beginning. He made us male and female. That's what he did. That's the foundation. And out of that comes the beauty that we know when we have husband and wife living in a lifelong covenant relationship with each other. And that's the beauty of what we have when we raise our children in homes where there is that fundamental commitment. Now, we know that it's not always easy to live in wedded bliss, is it? I'm looking at someone, but, but it's true, you know, right? You, are you, who's going to admit it, okay? Yeah, it's the truth, okay? My wife and I have been married now since 1974, so that means this year we will be celebrating in June, how many years? 45 years, oh, that's a long time. And it hasn't always been wedded bliss. In fact, we bump heads. She's fairly strong-willed, maybe I am too. Okay. But let me tell you what keeps us together. It's a commitment to the Lord, you see? That's how we stay together. That's how we stay together in our families, by that commitment. This idea of falling in and out of love is a lie that the world tells. Yeah, it's wonderful when there's that romantic dimension, but let's understand that marriage is beyond that, and that we have to have something that is more sustaining than simply romantic love. Thank God for that. What God has joined together, let, not, let man not separate. So my preaching about Mother's Day and a tribute to mothers, well, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. So now we come to Proverbs 31. And so I'm going to take the next two hours expand, uh, expounding. Oh, I don't have many takers for that. All right. Did you bring a lunch? Order pizza? What? Okay. But here's a list taken out of the verses that Pastor Rob read for us of all the things that the wife and mother described in Proverbs 31 was. A manufacturer an importer, a manager, a realtor, a farmer, a seamstress, a upholsterer, a merchant. Actually, as I was going through this list, I thought, well, this just sounds like a farmer's wife, <laughs> right? And we understand that there is a scope and a power 
to what women have been empowered and called to do that is far beyond this model that we have somehow adopted, which is the traditional model, which is not. This is the tradition right here, because it picks up the realities that go all the way back to the beginning, you see? And look at verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Have you noticed that? Yeah? But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A depth of spiritual character that makes all the difference. It means that they put up with us guys an awful lot. She brings good to her family, to the poor, and honor to her husband and to God. That's all in the passage. Were you listening? Let's understand, though, that the complication is actually found back in Genesis chapter 3. Oh, we're back to Genesis, yes. And so we read that as a consequence of the fall, the Lord says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. True? Oh, yeah. I lived through five. (laughs) And you know... Whenever I say that, the women say, oh yeah, you really suffered. (laughs) But they give my wife the comfortable bed, and I got to sit in this creaky chair. Has that happened to you? Stop, stop. Stop, stop. (laughs) Yeah, my wife's not here, so I can say these things. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I must say, though, that the birth of my last child saved me from writing a Hebrew exam the next day. (laughs) Okay. Oh, there's more, more good than that. Okay. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And here is the part where it has gone really wrong, you see? And so, in a nice, concise way, to love and to cherish becomes to desire and to dominate. Isn't that the truth? Now, when things are to whack, it becomes a power struggle. It becomes ruled by passion and lust rather than loving good sense. And that destroys stuff. You know that as well as I. And so what we need to experience is the restoration that Jesus has come to bring. And let's understand that Jesus did something so extremely radical And you have to look at a conservative society, maybe like some Muslim groups are, to understand how radical what Jesus did. So we read in Luke 10, Mary, a woman, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That was unheard of. That was improper. That should not be. And, of course, Martha, who is busy doing the stuff that she thinks she's been uh, channeled into. And, yes, it is good to serve. Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. So what's that one thing? Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so women recognize in these words, here is the emancipation. Here is the emancipation that supposedly 
these activists are looking for. Here it is. The better part is that women, as much as men, are to sit at the feet of Jesus. We read in Luke chapter 23, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And you'll see repeated references to the way in which women were also following Jesus. You see? This is just one example. And so this has immense implications for understanding what our relationship uh, should be. Because, yes, passion and domination are the tendency in the world. You know that, right? But here is the command. And so there's words for us husbands here on Mother's Day. Husbands, what? Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. All right. Understand how radical this was. I don't care what my wife thinks or feels. Would have been the prevailing attitude. Unfortunately, it has continued. Love your wives. And love is an action word. You want to know what love is like? Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then in 5.28 of Ephesians, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Wow. Did you forget that one? You remember this scripture read at your wedding? Oh, Lord, help. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this is man's prayer, right? This is not easy. He who loves his wife loves himself. Then 1 Peter 3.7, husbands in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, some will take offense at this in describing women as the weaker partner, but I want to just ask you this question. How many men's shelters are out there? Okay? How many women's shelters? I helped to establish the first women's shelter on Manitoulin Island, okay? And one of our people, a wonderful lady by the name of Mary Elder, Nelder became the first leader, the first director of that women's shelter. The reality is that these words are true. So rather than fussing that they sound patriarchal, they're not. They're simply describing the reality. And then, Paul goes really far out on this. He says, you are all sons of God. And it is the word sons there, friends, not children. And a son, in Hebrew understanding, in old world understanding, was, of course, the heir. You are all heirs of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither what? Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, and each of those were enough to be fighting words. And then the next one, look at it, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise God that we understand that. Amen? And so when we serve, we serve together as man and women in purity, integrity, before our God. 
And so this is a tribute to all wives and mothers, to those who've inherited a rich legacy of the strength and beauty of a marriage and home made strong by following the blueprint that God has given. And there are many of you here. Isn't that a wonderful gift that we have? Thank you. Thank you. And it is also a tribute to those who are learning to overcome a deficit in their upbringing and formation. It so happens that our youngest daughter-in-law, she won't mind me saying this because she knows how profoundly true it is, was raised in a very rough background. And she thanks us over and over for having been brought into our family. And now, in her marriage, being disciplined, being formed in attitudes, in behaviors, and in character to become more like Jesus. And then a tribute as well to those who are striving to overcome a deficit from a husband who is not learning the value of godly manhood, or maybe a husband who is just absent. Thank the Lord for the courage of women who try and bring the love that God has put in their hearts into the lives of their children. And thank God for the, the women and the men who come around to support, to help. And we have that privilege. We are a different people. We are the living hope of our, la of our land. We sang about the church being uh, the hope of the earth. Well, friends, we are. We are presently that. We don't have to wait for it. And then there are those who have been a mother when the natural mother could not or would not. And I know some of you have served as foster parents. <laughs> we're not foster parents, it just seems like we're foster parents. <laughs> and I'll tell you, Michelle is, I've been calling her Wonder Woman this last little while, because again, she's undertaken uh, some uh, responsibility. She doesn't get paid for, but just out of the love that God has placed in her. Michelle, by the way, is my wife, you're wondering. And of course, those who could not be mothers after the flesh, but who made a difference in someone's life. Because there are some who cannot have children. So one is uh, one of my colleagues when I was president, Sandra Chart, the uh, director for World Partners, long-term missionary, single woman, but who has mothered many, many people in her 25-year career in Brazil. Many who rise up and call her blessed. Friends, thank God for mothers. Tell you one last story. Are we okay? Yeah, we're still okay for time. I still have another two hours. All right. <laughs> December 7th, 1988. You remember that date? No, you don't remember that date? Levi, you don't remember that one? No? This is a little story about Susanna and Gayani Petroisen in Armenian Russia. A terrible earthquake that took the lives of thousands. One moment they're in their apartment building, the next minute they're buried in complete darkness. They're like in a coffin. It's cold because it's December. And 
The sister-in-law is dead in the same hole that they're in. But there is mom, Susanna, and Gayani, the four-year-old. And so apparently they had a big jar of jam that the child consumed over a few days. But in the time that they were there, the little girl began to say, Mommy, I'm thirsty. I want something to drink. Moms, you know what that would feel like, right? She had nothing, nothing to give her. She had felt around and found a shard of glass. She cut a fingertip and gave that to her daughter to drink. Over several successive days, because they were in this tomb for eight days, mom did it over and over and over again. And eight days later, unbelievably, they were still alive because it was as cold as a tomb. They were dug out, they were taken to the hospital, but mom was giving her lifeblood for her daughter. Thank God for that gift of love that is so deep and so profound that God places in our hearts. And we recognize that a mother's love is really a reflection of the love that God has for all us. Because the love of God is the fountain of all love. Here's a scripture from 49.15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast or have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. That's the promise of our God. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. And so we know that for eternity, our Savior bears those marks that are testimony to his dying, undying love for us. Thank God for mothers who exemplify the gift of love. Aren't you thankful for mothers? Yeah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you for creating a beautiful, beautiful creation in which you have made us both male and female, in which you have inst instituted this uh, bonding, this binding, in which the two become one in which we have the gift of children. Thank you that we have all been beneficiaries of this. Now, Lord, it may be that our experience with our mothers has not been the best. Maybe that those who are mothers think about their failings. But thank God for everything that is good that actually reflects your beauty and your love. And we're also thankful that in Jesus you can continue to shape us and change us. That in Jesus we can pray for those who are struggling. And then for those who, who may have hurt us, Lord, you have given us the gift, the precious gift of forgiveness and of blessing. And Lord, that does something good for them, does something good for us, and it does glory to you. And so this Mother's Day, we're just so thankful for the beauty of your love reflected in our mothers and those who have been mothers to us. Thank you that as we are praying this, we are praying this in the midst of the course of life. 
And today, O oh Lord, we know that moms will be experiencing the challenges of continuing to be moms. But Lord, you have not abandoned us, and you will walk with us each step of the way. Thanks, Lord, for meeting with us today in this place. In the name of Jesus, amen.